let's go to our review. And, and today I'm going to talk to you a little bit more about worship. I just want to take one week and, and talk to you about the way we worship. There's a particular way we worship. In 1995, I moved here to Nashville and I was a big fan of Christian music. In fact, I, I used to order, some of you will remember this, where you would sign up and you would get like 10 CDs for five cents a piece. And then you had to get a monthly CD for $14.99 a piece. I see some heads nodding. For us who were in college in the mid-90s, that was a big part of how we collected music before the digital revolution. So I had all these CDs of Christian music and I arrived here in town and I was uh, really glad to be connected with the industry. I met some different uh, industry uh, people, I guess, and executives who would give me tours of uh, some of the different labels. And afterwards, we'd get to go down into the basement and tour the basement, which meant you had to snag uh, a CD here and there. And I thought, wow, then Nashville's working out pretty good for me. I'm getting free CDs, meeting people. Uh, there was this artist. I don't think she does music anymore. Her name was Cindy Morgan. Does anyone remember Cindy Morgan? Okay, I was a huge Cindy Morgan fan. I was probably 21. I'm guessing she was 26, 27, and I just loved her music. And uh, I, I actually got a poster, a poster someone got me that she signed that said, Pastor Aaron, the 21-year-old Pastor Aaron, welcome to Nashville. Love, Cindy. That was a total joke, but, uh, but it was fun to see that. So all of this was going on, and, and I remember in some of those meetings talking to somebody who was uh, an executive in Christian music industry, a friend of mine, and he was telling me about the future, and this is what he said. He said, I am working to try to get praise and worship music on the radio. I think that's the next wave. And I remember thinking, that is the stupidest idea I've ever heard. Because praise and worship is for church. Why in the world would a radio station play praise and worship music? And I remember having those conversations, relaying the conversation and saying, wow, I can't believe he thinks that anyone would ever play praise and worship music on the radio. Well, if you've listened to Christian radio recently, you'll realize that now the majority of the music on Christian radio is praise and worship music. In fact, a lot of the songs we do here, you'll hear on the radio. You either hear on the radio or Beth finds these awesome songs, no one else, is, like obscure songs that are great. Uh, but you, you'll hear, most of Christian radio you'll hear now is praise and worship. So here's the conclusion of that. Praise and worship has gotten really popular. I mean, it's somewhat cool to be involved in worship. Over the last 15 years, praise and worship has moved to most evangelical churches. It used to be just for Pentecostal or charismatic churches, but now almost every evangelical church does modern praise and worship, choruses and bands and lifting their hands in worship and kneeling and some of those things. So that's been really exciting for someone who's been part of worship all my life. Uh, to see the last 15 years, how worship has, for lack of a better term, gone mainstream. But here's the problem with this, and I want to be clear of why we need a teaching like we're going to have today, is we don't worship because worship is popular. And we don't worship because good worship 
is a church growth strategy. And we don't worship because we hear songs during the week on Christian radio, and so it's a good filler before the teaching comes. Those are not reasons we worship. We worship because he's worthy and because the Bible is very particular about how we worship. The Bible is very clear that there is a certain way God wants us to worship. Now, God's creative and big and worship comes in all types of different ways. But I think it's important for us to understand the biblical the biblical definition of worship because from Adam and Eve in Genesis to the culmination of time in Revelation worship is all through the Bible I and mean, that's what the Bible is about it's about worship so here's the conclusion we don't worship the way we like to worship we don't worship the way we prefer to worship we worship the way God tells us to worship him and from the beginning of God relating to men, he was very particular about how they worshiped. If you study the Old Testament, you'll see that the Hebrew people had to worship God on certain days and approach God in certain ways and even worship God in certain places. And now that we're under the new covenant and the Holy Spirit dwells with us, uh, worship is, is about the community. It's about the personal relationship we have in Christ. But we understand that God defines the way we worship because worship is part of us humbling ourselves before him. If we didn't have a more defined way we worship, we could conclude, I worship God with this awesome golf shot. I mean, my golf shot is so perfect. It's worship to the Lord as it lofts in the air. Or we could, we could conclude, as I, as I take my budget... And as I find great sales on Sunday at the mall and really steward God's money well, the, the way I shop is, is my worship to God. Now, there is a bit of truth to that because everything is worship. But I want you to see today is there are very specific ways God wants us to worship him. And so I thought what we would do today is look at some of the definitions of the word praise. For some of you who have heard teaching on worship for the last 30 years, you understand this, that there are seven Hebrew words for praise. Now, we're not going to go over all of those today. We touch on some of those and forward 103. But here's what I want you to understand, that the word praise is in the Bible several hundred times, well over 200 times. The word praise but the Hebrew word of praise means something a little different each time the word praise is used. And that's one of the limitations we have in interpretive language. So once, once the, the text is interpreted a couple of different times, there are some limitations in our understanding. So even though there's well over 200 times the word praise is used in the Bible, when you look at the word praise, it often means something specific differently in each each time and there's seven different hebrew words for praise now what i decided to do today instead of just looking at the seven hebrew words of praise i decided to think about our context here and something that does happen if someone came to the church at indian lake and sat through a service 
and they ask questions about the way we worship, how would we answer them? So I have a series of questions for you today as if someone had never worshiped with us before. Here's the first question is this, why do we sing? Why do we sing? Well, obviously we have some talented people here in what has been dubbed Music City USA. You know that the Nashville Chamber of Commerce decided about 20 years ago to give us that slogan. They said, let's be Music City USA. And it has stuck. It has stuck. We have great, great musicians. It would be hard for me to be a pastor outside of Nashville now because I'm spoiled with all the great musicians we have. Beth has spoiled me being married to a great musician like that. But that's not why we sing. For I would conclude that even if we didn't have great musicians and you were stuck just with me, just with me, then I would try to lead you in some choruses. That would be very memorable. Because we are people of song. And I want you to understand that. We are people of song. We express ourselves through song. Our, our Christianity springs from Judaism and the Jewish people. And the Jewish people are, are very musical people. When I was in New York City one year, on the top of the Empire State Building, I'll never forget this. There was a group of Hebrew or Jewish, excuse me, Jewish, New York Jewish teenagers there on a field trip together. And there in the night, they begin to sing in that, those minor keys that the Jewish people often sing about the light that's going to come. And it was beautiful and haunting there looking over the city. And it's so common that our faith, which is spring from Judaism, we are, we are a people who sing. And Jesus sang with his disciples. And Jesus sang at his last supper. And song is very important. That's why Psalm 96.2 says it this way. Sing to Yahweh. Praise his name. Proclaim his salvation from day to day. Notice it says sing to Yahweh. Sing to God. When we sing, we are not just singing to fill time. We're not just singing as a preliminary. We're singing to somebody. We're singing to a personality. We're singing to a revelation. We're singing to a distinct God. We sing right to God. And singing is important. Now, in this particular, this particular scripture, you see that word praise? That word praise is talking about a specific word. Just so you know, I'm not going to cover all seven Hebrew words. But this particular word means a prepared song. So sing a prepared song. So in our faith, that's why we have a system to prepare songs. We, we have several rehearsals a week to get ready for our songs. We plan the songs ahead of time. We practice the songs ahead of time. We have the words on the screen. That's part of what we do. We do prepared songs. It would be fine and okay if, and this has happened all over the world where people have gathered and no one's prepared and they said, what do y'all want to sing? And someone felt like singing this song. Someone felt like singing that song and everybody just kind of sang. There's nothing wrong with that, but there's a specific kind of praise that we do here that's a prepared song. Sing to Yahweh a prepared song. 
proclaim his name. Put some thought into it. Put some effort to it. That's why all through the Old Testament, uh, God chose those who were the most skillful to play at the public gatherings of the, the public worship. There's something about the prepared song that matters. And so that it is that uh, theologically, we're singing accurate songs. We're singing songs together. There's solidarity to that. Now, music defines the people. Do you know that people bond over a sound? People bond over a sound? I mean, you can see this in, in all types of cultures. There's certain types of songs, certain types of genres that define a people group. A national anthem is a song for a people. And so it is in our prepared songs. We have a certain way, a certain style. That's just us. And, and it makes us feel at home when we hear the prepared songs. When we begin to, to, to feel the songs that are similar, we feel at home. When I've worshiped with other Christians, I love the diversity we have in our faith. I, I think all types of worship expressions are valid as long as they're lifting up Jesus. But I've been in services in other cities, other states, even other countries where a certain type of song is sung, a certain flavor, and there's a, kin, a kindred spirit. And I, I find that that faith stream is very close to my tradition. So a sound bonds us together. So we sing to God. Uh, we sing in a way, in a way that bonds us we sing in a way that defines us. We sing prepared songs to the Lord because he asked for that. Now, here's the next question. Why do we sing when there are no words on the screen? That, that's a good question. Why do we sing when there's no words on the screen? Now, this is when I'm doing a teaching on worship. It's always very dangerous to me because I, I have this desire now to model to you what I'm talking about. Uh, and I'm somewhat musical. I will say that. I'm somewhat musical, uh, but not musical enough to sing in front of you right now. Uh, but there, is, and, and Abby's laughing at me. Abby, come on, girl. You've got the music gene. you got mom's gene. Um, but you'll notice this is there'll be times when there won't be words on the screen. And one of our worship leaders, Beth's primarily leading right now, will begin to kind of off-road or ad-lib. Now, this is... This is a, uh, something that you're going to hear in secular music. Now, we, we try to go to musicals, and, and Beth, that was her major performing arts, and so that's what makes her heart come alive. And we were on Broadway uh, recently and, and noticed that at one of the musicals we went to that the, the actor started ad-libbing, and it added a lot of motion to that part of the play. So, so sometimes when you ad-lib, it adds a little bit of emotion. So we see that in the secular world. Now, sometimes when I'm hearing a national anthem before a sports game, I'm, I'm just praying, stay at home, people. Stay at home. It's a beautiful song. Don't ad-lib. So this ad-lib thing can, can get way out of hand. Would you, someone just sing the melody, please? If someone would just sing the melody, the crowd would go wild. But... That, but at other times, ad-libs are appropriate because they add emotion to the song. Now, that, that's what the world would say. But there's actually a biblical reason that we ad-lib. And it's more than ad-lib. It's called the spontaneous song of the Lord. Uh, the, the Greek word, for those who care, is tehillah. Tehillah. So Psalms 22.3 says it this way. But you are holy, enthroned on the praises, but this word means enthroned on the spontaneous songs of Israel. So it is that when those who are leading worship 
And it's not always for those leading, for you too. If you begin to just have this melody or this song that's not the words on the screen, and it, and it may not even be a song you've heard, but it's a song that's coming up from your spirit. This, this is a legitimate biblical way to worship. And I want you to know this. And so if there's time, especially as you saw in the review, we're going to have the Hendersonville House of Prayer coming in September. And we're going to have some more worship nights. And on those particular times, um, the worship leader will just kind of sometimes just hang out, kind of ad lib. And if you're thinking, hey, where are the words on the screen? What's going on here? It, it's, it's not simply a, a strategy or a musical style. It is a particular way to praise God. We praise God with a spontaneous song. Now, I'm going to tell some, some of you are going to think this is really weird and strange, but some of you, this is going to be a key to a breakthrough. I want to encourage you to begin to practice the song of the Lord on your own. Begin to sing songs to the Lord. Now, you might want to practice that at very unique places, like enclosed vehicles are good and showers are good. And different places where you're by yourself mowing the yard, that's a good time to do that. Uh, but practice little melodies that the Holy Spirit gives you. A spontaneous song of the Lord. Now, look at the power of this. Now, think about this. You are holy, enthroned, mean God sits on his throne. God sits in his chair. God resides on the spontaneous songs of Israel. So when, we, when we, we hit those times, listen, when we're lingering in God's presence and the prepared song ends and we're just kind of vamping a little bit and kind of singing to the Lord and we start singing from our spirits, this, according to this scripture, God, God enthrones, he's enthroned on that. He, he, come and he, he comes and he sits in his chair and just dwells with us. Do you understand why? This is important why the encounter times and nights of worship are important. There needs to be environments and times where we just sit with God and, and let that song kind of come up. Those of you who have a prayer language, who pray in, in the Holy Spirit or pray in tongues, you can sing in tongues. You can sing with that prayer language. That God enthroned, he's enthroned in that. He's, he's present in that. He's there in that. So I want you to know that. So when we sing and there's not words on the screen, there's a specific reason for that. There's a, here's another question. Why do we have upbeat, happy music? This is particularly important for those of you who come from very legitimate churches that emphasize reverence more. And reverence is very good, and God deserves reverence. So I just want you to know this. It's during this part of the teaching that that I do not want to demean or criticize your heritage. A lot of times that's what happens right here when people are teaching about celebration. I'll, I'll say this. I think that we don't need to be too, we, we should not be too casual with God. And reverence has a place. And reverence has an important place. And we try to find reverent moments in our service. But some faith traditions, it's like, it's only reverence. So it's only very subdued and very quiet uh, and very low energy, the whole worship service. Biblically, I believe there should be a combination. That is certainly appropriate and good and used. But 
There is the Hebrew word halal, and this is in your notes. And it's used a lot in the Bible. And that's where we get the word hallelujah. And halal, you can see the definition in your notes. It's to make a show, to boast, to be foolish, to rave, to celebrate. So the reason we have happy, upbeat music is because that's a particular way God has said to praise him. Praise him with happy, upbeat, boastful Music. An example of this, and there's a hundred examples, but we'll look at one, is Psalms 113.3. From the rising of the sun to its setting, the name of the Lord is to be praised. That particular word praise is halah. The name of the Lord is to be celebrated. The name of the Lord is to be applauded. The, the name of the Lord is to be raved about. We're, we're supposed to be like, like a first love totally in love with the Lord. From the rising of the sun to the setting, the name of the Lord is to be halal. So one of the reasons we have upbeat, happy music, and the the primary reason is that's a particular way for you guys to worship. The other reason is, and this is not biblical, and this is completely practical, the first song, I call it, get your butt out of the lobby song. Because you guys are loitering and getting your coffee. And the men's Bible study's going late. So, so I tell Beth, start upbeat and happy. Now, Beth likes to just kind of get in there. You like to just take your time getting in. And this is, this, is, this is dinner talk at our house. I'm like, no, start upbeat and happy. And so she does that now. Uh, and so because it is a call to worship and it says, hey, Quit talking and let's go worship the Lord. And someday, someday, here's the answer. This place is going to be so full. All of you who've been going here for years are going to have to get here early to get your favorite seat. And when that happens, then, then we'll be doing it just for, for biblical reasons. <laughs> so there is biblical reasons, and that is to halal the Lord. So when you say hallelujah, and we're going to sing hallelujah here in a few minutes, know what that's meaning. That means celebrate who God is. Celebrate his greatness and who he is. Here's another question. Why do we use musical instruments? This is particularly important here in Middle Tennessee because Tennessee and Kentucky is the cradle of the Church of Christ movement, Disciple, the Church of Christ movement, which is a very American. It's one of the only American religions. Most religions um, have a trace to Europe. Uh, but back in the days when Campbell started this movement, the 1800s, a frontier movement, Tennessee and Kentucky were just out in the wilderness. There weren't musicians, and it was a very, we're New Testament only, we're American pioneers, and we don't want to get distracted by the instruments. Now, I'm sure they have a better explanation for that. But that's why some of us are like, well, why do we? Because sometimes instruments can feel worldly, uh, just the way we were grown up, we, we grew up, and especially in this region. And so there's a particular reason. The Hebrew word, you see that zamar means to touch strings and refers to praise that involves instrumental worship. And one of our songs today, JP had an electric guitar solo. It sounded really cool for those of us who kind of like that rock sound. I know not all of us like that, but thank you for those. You know, we're, we, we, we're trying to get a lot of variety these days. We got some bluegrass going on, some reverent stuff, a little bit of rock going on. Um, our, I should come with a better name for rock. But anyway, when JP did that electric guitar solo, that was a zamar. That was praising the Lord with his instrument. Okay, so it wasn't just an interlude or something to impress people. It was to impress the Lord. 
It was, it was taking those instruments and using them to impress the Lord. And there's an example of this in Judges 5.3, and they actually translate the word sing. It says, Judges 5.3 says it this way. Um, if we ha- Do we have that up there? Maybe that didn't make it up there. It says it this, this way. I have it in my notes. Listen, kings, pay attention, princes. I will sing to the Lord. And that's a different word for sing. And then I will sing praises, the Samar, with the, with, to the Lord God of Israel. So I will sing while plucking instruments is what that means. So that's a biblical reason. So I, I want you to know we're intentional about this. this. This is a worship service. And the use of instruments, because we want to Zamar the Lord. This is an important one, and I'm running low on time, but that's all right. You're in the first service, so I always get a couple of extra minutes with you guys. You're supposed to go, woohoo, yeah, bring it on. Okay, thank you. Yeah. I always loved it when I used to say, I'm running out of time, and, and I know someone said, don't stop, don't stop. And I can always tell that person was not, has never volunteered for the nursery. So here we go. <laughs> I love my nursery workers. Okay. Um, why do we lift our hands in worship? Then this, this is real important, and this is really a passion for me. Um, the Bible says, you know, and, and the, the statistic here with all the different versions, uh, the statistics are a little muddy, but you're going to understand there's, there's a, probably a dozen times that the Bible overtly says to lift your hands in worship. And we're just going to look at that real quick. Nehemiah 8, 6 is an example of that. In the Old Testament, Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and with their hands lifted up, all the people said amen and amen. Uh, this is a New Testament principle in 1 Timothy 2, 8. says it this way, 1 Timothy 2, 8. Therefore, I want men in every place to pray, lifting up holy hands without anger, our argument. Psalms 134, 2 says it this way, lift up your hands in the holy place and praise the Lord. Now stick with me here for a second. There's, you can go to a Bible concordance and find you know, roughly a dozen times where the Bible says to lift up your hands and worship. But here's the part that you won't realize, that there is a Hebrew word for praise called tadao that is used 90 times in the Bible, nine zero, 90 times. And so the last time that I studied this, and now my statistics are coming back to me, I know this, that at least if you take the seven times the Bible says overtly to lift your hands, like you can find in the concordance, and then the 90 times that the word praise means to dow, to lift your hands, to praise the Lord with an extended hand, that the Bible says 97 times to lift the Lord, to praise the Lord with uplifted hands, okay? So that's the biblical evidence. This is really, really important because those who are, are in their 20s and below lifting their hands is really easy for them. It's, it's something that is part of their culture. When I was growing up as a teenager, I mean, it was a scandal if you lifted your hands. I mean, I, I mean mom and dad were getting out the camera, revival had hit in the youth group if anybody lifted their hands. Now kids lift their hands really easily, Either way, here's the deal. It's a biblical directive. And, and I want the teenagers, I want the students to know the reason you lift your hands is that has nothing to do with style, has everything to do with the Bible, what the Bible says. Now, I want you to think about in life, in life, our hands are used to express emotion. It, it's, it's difficult to communicate without using your hands. As you see, I'm doing that right now. So, so we, we communicate with our hands as much as with our mouth. We communicate with our hands. It's part of how we communicate. So doesn't it make sense that if we're people who sing, 
There were also people who, as we sing and we feel the emotion that's attached with the greatness of our God, that we just want to do something with these. We don't want to just put them in our pocket or fold them or put them. It's natural if we allow ourselves to go there to lift our hands in worship. It's natural to extend our hands in worship. And here's, here's what I really believe. And I want you to hear this. I want this to mark you. God loves it when you lift your hands in worship. He does. He loves it when you lift your hands in worship. I believe God loves it, and that's why he put it in the Bible so much. Now, I want you to know this. The devil hates for you to lift your hands in worship. And that's why when your emotions are down and you've had a bad week or even a bad morning or fought with your kids or fought with your spouse, you don't want to put your hands in the air. It's true. Because I believe lifting your hands destroys helps destroy the work of the flesh in your life. And I know this is because I didn't lift my hands in worship until I was in seventh grade. I never did. I never lifted my hands once until God got a hold of me. And there have been times when my flesh have not wanted to lift my hands in worship. But when I do what God has called me to do, it destroys the work of the flesh. It destroys the enemy. It's the key. I want you to know this so you understand that lifting your hands in worship is not stylistic. It's a biblical directive. It's an opportunity. It's a way to kill the flesh. It's a way to... Um, it's a way to resist the enemy's attack on your emotions because that's what often happens in the area of worship. The enemy wants to attack your emotions and he wants you to lie and think that your emotions have to line up with your worship experience. Now, we worship God. We don't worship our mood, okay? We don't worship how we feel. We worship God. Biblically, we reflect back the way he wants us to worship and we do so in a way, in a way that kills the flesh and causes the spirit to come alive. Other things we're not gonna talk about today because we just don't do a whole lot of is kneeling and shouting, Barak, shouting unto the Lord. But these are some questions. Here's the last thing I wanna say. I wanna invite our ushers to prepare as I talk about this part, prepare for communion. Why do we take weekly communion? Well, at our church, we do that simply because we choose to. Uh, there's nothing in the Bible that says you have to take communion every Sunday. But I personally as now the Lord has given me a, responsible, a responsibility as a shepherd of this church, I personally think it's a good thing to offer communion every week. And I have been a pastor now, a senior pastor, eight and a half years, and I cannot, I don't think there's ever been a Sunday we haven't at least had communion ready and available. Now, before the Protestant Reformation, the Eucharist or communion was the centerpiece of the church service. So for most Christians who have lived around the world, the, the communion has been the centerpiece of worship. And then over the last 500 years, the centerpiece of worship has become the preacher and has become the scripture and become the word. I think that a balance of that is good. And communion every week makes people realize that Jesus is the center Jesus is the center. Jesus is the reason we're here. It helps me because I know this, even if I don't preach that good of a sermon and my sermon's not that great and the music was off and the sound system messed up or the keyboard trans transposed like it did one Sunday and quit working, that at the end, 
Jesus was the reason we were here. And when we go to the bread and we go to the cup, we center ourselves on Jesus. We're not here based off personality. We're not here based off style. We're not based here based off purely consumeristic reasons. We're here because Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ is the center of our faith. He's been the center of our faith for centuries. He's been the center of our faith wherever we worship, however we choose to worship, in any country, in any place. And communion centers us on that. That's why in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 26, Paul said this, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death. Now look until this part until he comes. You see, it's the work of the cross that is everything. Jesus died on the cross. He died for our sins, but he didn't, we don't remember him as we remember a fallen leader. Like we're so sad that he died. We proclaim his resurrection because you can't proclaim that he's coming again if he's still in the grave. And you can't proclaim he's coming again if he's still dead. Our God died, but he came back to life with resurrection power. And we're here to proclaim that he will come again. Our Jesus will physically and visibly return to this earth and he will rule and he will reign in righteousness and we are the church and we're gathered in his name not out of cultural habit not out of obligation not out of legalism but we're here to worship him we're here to praise him we're here to declare who he is and we are centered on the cross we are centered on the resurrection and because you decided to get out of bed and come to church today you said this Jesus is alive Jesus Jesus is coming again. There's a better place. There's a better ruler. There's a better king. There's a better way to live. Your very physical presence made that statement this morning. He is real. He is alive. And we are people of worship. We are people of song. We are people of music. We are people of instruments. We are people with a spontaneous song. We are people who lift our hands and kneel and shout. And we are people who take the bread and take the cup and say, Christ is is real. He is our reality. And we worship him for that. We worship him for that. Would you pray with me? God, I thank you for worshipers. You're calling all men and women to worship. The Lord wants you to know today, you are a worshiper. You are not a mimicker. You don't mimic someone else and that doesn't make you a worshiper. You are a worshiper because who God made you. You've been redeemed. You've been set free. You've been adopted. You're in the kingdom. You're in, not out. That makes you a worshiper. You're not worshiping God because you like music. You're not worshiping God because you're musical. You're not worshiping God because this is a style of church you've chosen. You're worshiping God because you have been redeemed and you have a chance to connect with the Lord. And so we thank you, Lord, for making us worshipers. I want to ask that you hold the bread and hold the cup after it comes your way. And I'm going to pray with you. And before we take communion together, you're going to have a chance to make things right with God. If you don't want to take communion, you don't have to. You can let it pass. But if you choose to take communion, I will pray with you and you will be right with God before you take communion because of what Christ has done.